Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. And I'm Tyson. And this is Dark Adaptation. continue i mean if you want i guess do whatever but usually it makes sense it would be weird part one part two yeah i would call you weird for that i've had it where i've been listening to a podcast and the episode that comes on is a part two and i'll be listening and i'm like i don't understand what's happening <laughs> and then i'm like oh okay let's go to part one but i've never been like yes this is a part two i think i'll start here yeah yeah <laughs> I'm a two-party person, but, you know, some people, they're just one part of a two-part. Sure. Are you, you know what like, I, mean? I think picking you're... Up what I'm, you picking up what I'm putting down? No, but you seem to be, so I feel like you might be making an example for yourself. Yes. I guess um, I'm just going to start with a recap of what we discussed in part one, because I still have lots to tell you. Okay. And I don't know how other people felt, but you seem pretty mad that I just stopped when I did. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was pretty fucking upset. It was so abrupt. You're like, oh. Where is the good part? Fucking shit. So in part one, we talked about Erin Chorney, obviously. Um, she's the center of this story. And she was an amazing 18-year-old girl from Brandon, Manitoba, who vanished after leaving her mom's house in April 2002. Erin's parents were divorced, so she spent her time between her mom's house and her dad's house. And at the time she disappeared, she had been primarily staying with her dad, but she had gone over to her mom's for a sleepover so she could spend time with her mom and her siblings. That night, April 21st, 2002, Erin told her mom she was going to go out for coffee with a friend and she'd be back later. And she told her mom, you know, if I plan on being out really late or I'll be spending the night, I will call you so you, so you know. And unfortunately, Aaron did not call, which didn't initially worry her mom because Aaron had done this sort of thing before, like gone out all night and not called, even though she said she would. So her mom was more disappointed than anything else, not so much worried. With no word from Aaron, her mom started calling Aaron's friends to see if they'd heard from her or if they'd been with her, but none of them had. She called her ex-husband, so Aaron's father, Darcy, who also hadn't heard or heard from or seen Aaron. So the two of them went to the Brandon police to report Aaron missing. The police took Aaron's disappearance seriously pretty quickly and started their investigation, which was headed by Detective Lockhart. And Lockhart began the investigation by interviewing Aaron's friends, family and boyfriend, Michael Bridges. Lockhart found Michael to be cold, emotionless, his answers seemed rehearsed, and when he interviewed Aaron's friends, he learned that Michael was also a dirtbag who abused Aaron physically, and leading up to her disappearance, she had been distancing herself from Michael and telling her friends she was done with him. He used to be a piece of shit. <laughs> He's still a piece of He's shit. St still, still is. Still is, though. <laughs> still is, though. 
So when Michael revealed during his first police interview that he was the last known person to have been with Aaron the night she disappeared, Michael became police's number one suspect. Police didn't have anything to arrest him on, so they began a surveillance detail, which included patrolling Michael's neighborhood, tapping his phone, and having an officer tail him. That didn't produce anything damning, so the police obtained warrants to search Michael's mom's station wagon and house, which again didn't produce anything damning. Police did find weird notes written by Michael that meticulously detailed his last day with Aaron, but again, it's suspicious, not damning. When police were struggling to progress their investigation forward, an anonymous letter writer entered the scene, approaching the one-year anniversary of Aaron's disappearance. In total, three letters were written. The first was apparently written by an acquaintance of Aaron's alleged murderer, and the remaining two were seemingly written by the killer. And I say apparently, allegedly, seemingly, because these letters have never been officially connected to Aaron's case, police have never figured out who wrote them, and it's unlikely they were written by anyone involved in Aaron's disappearance. So for the fact that they're also just complete dickbags. Exactly. Their writers, writer or writers, are just, just, just turds. It's just stupid. You're just some, like, loser freak with nothing better to do. And you're needlessly contributing to this case that's already really frustrating and full of dead ends. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's also unlikely that this person knows what the heck they're actually talking about because the letters just had like vague broad statements that if you just had even a, an iota of creativity you could have put into a letter like mm-hmm. it wasn't anything that was like oh shit this is something only someone involved would know they're just yeah. being like yeah they're murdered aaron's murdered and she's buried yeah it was like vague and also only details published in like the paper or something mm-hmm. which you know says everything (laughs) yeah when we left off i was talking about how investigators were also getting frustrated that the case wasn't moving forward but like i said there was lots of tips and activity and stuff like that but it was just frustrating it was all dead ends um their searches and surveillance efforts didn't bring them any closer to finding aaron and nothing was happening to move the investigation forward Michael was still police's number one suspect, but they were cognizant of the fact that they didn't have any solid evidence, no crime scene, no witnesses, and most importantly, no confession. So Lockhart and his team had made the decision to seek assistance from the Royal Canadian Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the RCMP, and ultimately the Brandon Police Service and the RC, RCMP teamed up and they concocted a, quote, clever sting operation to expose Michael Bridges' secrets once and for all. And that's where I had ended it last time. Sting his ass. So they were gonna they're gonna sting him right in the butt. In and the butthole. It was gonna it was gonna be a sting of an operation. And I think that's where we'll pick it up. Alright, pick but it up. I mean I don't think I mean that's just how it is now. That's where I'll pick it up from. That's where it goes. It's just it's just clever sting operation is what i was talking about in the beginning of part one when i said that we'll be talking about my favorite tactic that canadian law enforcement uses just because of its elaborateness and sheer audacity to solve aaron's case and get the answers they needed rcmp and the brandon police service teamed up to utilize a major crime technique known as the mr big sting operation all right 
It's also really hard for me not to say Branford Police Service. I know. I was thinking the same thing. Every time you say it, I'm like, are you Branford? No. Because that's obviously where or we, Brennan. where we live. And I always want to say Branford Police Service because that's what it is. Yeah. And it looks so like similar when you're just like glancing down at, at my notes. So I'm like, mm -hmm. Brandon, not Branford. <laughs> Manitoba, not Ontario. Yeah. So a Mr. Big operation sounds like um a good time right i was gonna say <laughs> it sounds like you're in a chocolate factory yeah gonna get some what the fuck cadbury i don't even know mr big uh i think it's cadbury i don't anyway, yeah, anyway. it just sounds like mm, i could go for a chocolate bar <laughs> i don't think americans have mr big though sorry like it's a canadian thing oh is it really yeah and probably an english thing if it is Cadbury. oh kind of like co is it coffee crisp that also is the same thing i think they don't have coffee crisp probably not. or it's like not popular there or something like that yeah maybe they don't i don't yeah. think so actually because it's nestle right because i know um a lot of people in the states love kit kats but they're not there they have to come to canada to get mm. them yeah well people in the states let us let us know yeah let us know let us are we talking out our tell ass? me or Oh my god, just tell us. Okay. Ew. I love you. Stop. Okay. A bi <laughs> Mr. Big Operation is a Canadian police technique by which a suspect is drawn into a fictitious criminal organization with the ultimate goal of securing a confession to whatever crime the police are actually investigating. So in this case, Michael Bridges' involvement in Aaron Charney's disappearance. Over a period of weeks or months, usually months, I've never heard of one that's just weeks but that's fucking efficient if they do that right yeah. undercover officers within the quote organization befriend the suspect and offer them jobs with financial rewards which is usually just straight up cash mm -hmm. the jobs will start small because the person has to prove they're valuable to and a good fit for the organization and then their responsibility is gradually increased so jobs include transporting goods meeting other underground criminals stuff like that Again, all of this is staged and takes time. After however long, the suspect is typically offered some sort of permanent or higher position, but there's one condition. They have to confess to any and all crimes they've done because the big boss or Mr. Big is going to find out one way or another via their informants and connections, and he has to know how to cover your ass. So it's better if you come clean and confess everything first to prove your trust and loyalty, and the crime boss can potentially help cover up the crime. Mm hmm. Obviously, the end goal here is for the investigators to get the suspects to confess their involvement in the actual crime being investigated. Now, not all Mr. Big Sting operations are conducted in this exact manner and circumstances, but it always revolves around a fictitious criminal organization and eventually confessing to Mr. Big or the big boss of the crime ring. Yeah. I always have, I mean, I always have a big problem with the Mr. Big stings, but mm -hmm. they're always so funny. I That's like, what I mean when I say like, it's just my favorite thing about to talk about because it's just, it's so audacious. You're just like, wow, this is so elaborate. This is wild. And um, that is like the next paragraph I have here is about the controversy. It's like, it's like if all the theater kids grew up to be cops. Honestly. Like but... <laughs> <laughs> like rem i forget which documentary we watched where they had like clips they showed clips of catching these two teenagers 
oh. I want to say. Yeah. And I was watching it first time ever learning about the Mr. Big and I my jaw was on the floor. But I was just laughing because yeah. of the way the guys at the end will try and tell you, like try and like cajole you into like confessing. Mm -hmm. It's is just so like I don't know if you had like the presence of mind and I guess you weren't like courted with this guy for like weeks on end building trust you'd be like get the fuck out of here officer I know like <laughs> the way that they, I, I know what you're talking about you're talking about the confession tapes yeah and yeah yeah uh, that particular one is a rough one and the cop is fuck fucking 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 this this that every yeah. other word is like no one really talks like that yeah it's, it's just like, so hammed up it's like if you're walking in like the like underground subway or something and you see a guy who's obviously spent time at the gym holding the fucking holding the fucking boom box with a low brim cap and a puma shirt and some fucking basketball shorts and shit and you're just you know you just want to say like Good morning, officer. Oh, my God. And see if he looks up. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. That it, it's, like, funny that you say that, though, because when I was looking into, obviously, the Mr. Big operations, just to see, like, what exactly they are, obviously, so I could describe it to everyone. Um, one of the things I learned is that because the, these operations are huge, it's, like, minimum 15 people mm -hmm. to do this um, type of investigation, this or operation and you have officers or agents or whatever right out there on the front lines getting in with criminals and suspects mm -hmm. so they are obviously playing a part uh, they themselves usually as a criminal type of person and a lot of the time they actually use their real name because you don't want to run the risk of being out in public and someone coming up to you and being like oh hey dyson yeah. And you're with like the people that you're trying to you're convince you're work, that you're, you're working over. Yeah. And then in that split second, because you can't predict every single thing that's going to happen. And then risk that blowing your cover because you know you told the guys that your name was like David. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Who's Dyson? And then immediately plant that seed of doubt. So it's like super it can be like super dangerous for these officers that are doing the operation because it's, it's definitely ballsy as fuck. Ooh, I mean, yeah. I'll commend them for that. <laughs> yeah. So like you're saying, you have a problem with it and lots of people do this major crime technique has ethical and moral dilemmas when it comes to policing and eventual justice for the crime in question. Mm -hmm. And people argue both sides. They can say that it's acceptable. It's a vital police tactic that you play a little dirty to catch the bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. Or you, that it's, you can argue that it's unreliable and the main problem being the confessions because police can say like, well, we would never have gotten this suspect to confess and it's the only way to get justice. Mm -hmm. Or you can argue that the confession is false. It's elicited out of the suspect in a high stake, high pressure environment. So it's a very controversial technique. Yeah, and it's it's financially. Oh uh, yes. There's like a financial incentive for these expensive. people to lie. Well, no, I mean even just for the person to lie in their confession. Oh yeah. Like oh you one you're talking to some guy who's like apparently in your eyes like a grizzled veteran of the fucking underworld, right? Promising you, uh, connections with this like lucrative boss 
of some kind, this Mr. Big, and then saying like, you know, if you want to work with us, if you want to keep earning money, you want this kind of financial backing, essentially, you have to tell us everything about this thing that you've done. And they it, won't, and they it better won't be good. Ev- yeah, they won't ever lead though like in michael's case they would never have been like if you did murder that girl like you have to say so Mm -hmm. like they would never say that like it has it has to be it does it's said in a way that's like it doesn't matter how small the crime is you stole a chocolate bar doesn't matter how big the crime is you know you murdered eight people Mm -hmm. confess everything and anything but you can still like back like lie back on like especially if you're trying to build proof street credibility with this like to to lie back on real world examples that you've been accused of yeah i mean that's the easiest to come to mind if especially if they're looking into you in this type of way you've obviously been accused of and have probably gotten word of people thinking that you've done a or b right Mm -hmm. so i don't know to me that's just a very big possibility like too much of a possibility that i'm not comfortable with it where they could be just talking out their ass to impress someone yes and it's so nuanced and specific to each you know case that they're actually investigating or whatever and you would hope that if a case ever goes to trial and they use this confession in it you would just hope that there's other things there not just this confession um yeah but yeah so it is very controversial um to the point that it's actually outlawed in the united states and britain mm-hmm. like it's really just <laughs> just us just we're us just fine it. with it i guess i don't know i just i'm uncomfortable with it if we can't do lie detectors i don't think we should be doing this you could do polygraphs you just can't you know. use the, you know yeah <laughs> that's what i mean though like they're, mm. <laughs> yeah yeah so this very controversial crime technique is what the brandon police and the rcm rcmp were putting together in order to get their prime suspect michael bridges to confess to his involvement in aaron's disappearance so on september 23rd 2003 the sting operation was put into motion and it began when an undercover agent went to michael's house pretending to be conducting a survey for a local radio station and invited michael to sign up for a contest where the first prize was tickets to an nhl game to see the flames play in calgary 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 Cal- yeah calgary calgary <laughs> it's the way it's when i'm reading it yeah it's the same when i said new newfoundland 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 or whatever and i was like i don't know why i said it like that yeah i've never said that it's newfoundland <laughs> it's yeah definitely just because yeah. i'm reading i'm also just dumb michael signed up <laughs> excited at the idea that he could go see his favorite team play for free a month later michael was notified that he was one of the con- contest winners and he was going to calgary for all expenses paid and he was fucking pumped oh yeah <laughs> while well, your face was dead when you did that sorry i just i was like in my mind trying to think of anything i'd be interested to do in calgary <laughs> do you even know anything about calgary no that's why i was kind of just deadpan i was like um mm. it doesn't matter you're not going you didn't <laughs> win this contest all right and here's one thing you can do go and watch the flames play he was pumped michael lived it up he went to the hockey game he went out for dinner and he topped off the night at a strip club there you go you could go to a strip club Woo-hoo. Huh. 
While he was at the club, he met another contest winner named Brock. The two hit it off and spent the rest of their all-expenses-paid getaway together. Brock even drove Michael home, and they continued to hang out even after the mini-vacation was over. Michael was clearly intrigued by this mysterious man, especially after Brock told him that he wants to, quote, expand his business operation. I thought and... you were going to tell me like he wanted to like catch them all, and he's going to go to a bunch of gyms and get all those badges. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Will you join this raid with me? <laughs> <laughs> I have that a mission. Taken two ways. I'm about to jump on. Yeah, exactly. Field research. <laughs> so he had to expand his business operation, and Brandon would be a good place to do it. So Michael helped Brock find an apartment in town. Michael has no idea that he was being pulled into an elaborate sting operation, and his new friend is actually an undercover agent, and that police officers are following their every move. The two men hung out regularly. They would meet for dinner, beers, stuff like that. And slowly Brock is letting Michael into his mysterious crime world. In early December 2003, Brock brought Michael to a small town northwest of Brandon to a, quote, secret location. There, another man passed Brock an envelope stuffed full of cash. And everything is very secretive. It's on the down low. Michael is starting to get a taste of the life he could have if he was a part of this organization, which he wants to be. By this point, Brock has taken Michael under his wing and he's becoming entrenched in what is obviously an organized crime syndicate. Michael even gets a bit of responsibility after he and Brock were out eating lunch or drinking beer or doing whatever they do. And during this meetup, Brock got a call from the boss and actually recommended Michael for whatever job they were talking about. So now Michael is going from this like silent observer, kind of just a little tag along to a member of this crime ring where he's tasked with making deliveries on his own. Remember, this is all staged. Yeah, it's this crazy. Is insane. This is just a team of RCMP officers and detectives just staging this whole world. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Even the... um radio contest alone yeah would be so complicated to pull off i mean to make it convincing mm -hmm. and like i was just in my the whole time i was thinking like did they like announce that on radio then like the winners or did they just say like no you just won i think that's why they they initiated it by just going to his house so they probably were in the yeah. neighborhood and they probably just went to his house and was just like hi hey, yeah we're conducting a survey for fucking calgary yeah yeah tickets here you go it's still so complicated like you were just talking about how like the these guys can't even have like some of them won't even take fake names in case it blows their fucking cover so like you know radio contest shit like they probably had a real station and shit and like getting that all together is probably so fucking complicated yeah exactly yeah i was just thinking about like because it said that in my research and what I've just said. Sorry, my brain just stopped working for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care how many just small strokes I have. <laughs> mm, one. Okay, so what I was going to say is that Michael signs up for this contest and he's not notified until a month later. So what if in Michael was like some impatient shit who just 
couldn't wait to find out if he won tickets to the Flames game. And mm-hmm. he like started calling the radio station to be like, hey, did I miss the draw yeah. or whatever? Like you would have to yeah, have something have in place everywhere. And be like, yeah, this is like, mm-hmm. we're doing this. Just shh, shut the fuck up if he calls. Send him over to me. RCMP. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, Michael's going from, you know, a little tag along to actually doing stuff on his own deliveries, whatever. And he is still working very closely with Brock, though. And one day Brock tells Michael that a girlfriend of a gang member had stolen money and run off with it. So Brock asked Michael to help him track this woman down, which they do. And she's at a motel just north of Winnipeg. And when they get there. Michael sat in the car waiting while Brock went into the motel room and beat the shit out of this woman. Now, again, this is all staged, but they went totally Hollywood with this beating. Really? There were <laughs> there were blood capsules, hair pulling, they were throwing each other around the room on the bed, ripping each other's clothes, and Brock even came out of the room with bloody knuckles. <laughs> like they yeah. Just... I like I like this that this works on like a deeper level too because mm-hmm. he's a piece of shit who had apparently beaten his girlfriend so they were like sliding it in they're like easily trying to see like if he's going to react negatively to this idea like are there any little red flags popping up yet no he's fine with it he just sat as a bystander oh that's literally my next sentence <laughs> I, I put here that michael ate this shit up and it does seem extreme and intense but it was all done with the intention of getting michael comfortable talking about violence against women mm-hmm. and to pave the way for where their investigation was headed which was obviously to get something out of him but what he did or knows about aaron mm-hmm. so yeah that's exactly it yeah they were like this we know this guy's pretty history. sneaky mr big and then michael was definitely getting closer and more comfortable with brock and he started talking about how this was the good life and he loves the easy money and brock is like you know sure it's great but you're doing like what you're doing is just small potatoes you're just doing like deliveries and stuff man like if you want in on the action and the big bucks then you have to really be a part of the operation you're just kind of like a outsider right now Mm -hmm. but of course you have to prove yourself and to prove yourself you have to show you mean business starting with revealing any and all past crimes to the big boss and it doesn't matter what it is if you were caught or not you have to come clean so the boss knows what he's dealing with and how to take care of it and the clincher is that the boss is powerful and he's all-knowing and he will find out regardless so it's mainly a test of honesty and loyalty and this is, I assume, the speech that Brock is giving Michael. Yeah. <laughs> it's not far off from what I saw in that video. <laughs> <laughs> Except it would be like, now, um, fucking. Yeah. Starting, gonna fucking reveal any and all fucking past crimes to the fucking, fuck, fucking big boss. And that's that literally fucker. what it is. It fucking doesn't matter what the fuck it is if you were caught or fucking not. And you're just like, can you calm the fuck down? it that's what that was like almost one of the biggest tells to me i mean other than the fact that the guy's just like nagging at stuff 
like just obviously just setting up stuff where you'd be like again i feel like he wants to be talking about but a different yeah case right i know i know but i'm just saying like the swearing just almost takes you out of it because it's just, oh, no, it's just so bad <laughs> yeah i agree again i don't think brock was like that but obviously not this sounds a little more successful that <laughs> <laughs> but then again we don't we don't know we weren't there mm-hmm. i didn't hear brock talk so he gets this whole spiel about you know the boss is all knowing and he'll find out anyway so just straight, come clean and michael was down he could see himself working for this crime ring so now the sting operation was coming to its final stage michael was set to meet with mr big in a week but before he went into this meeting brock wanted to make sure michael was ready so the two met at a winnipeg restaurant to prepare and sort of do like this little practice run and of course brock secretly recorded audio of the whole conversation so brock tells michael to reveal any and all crimes he's participated in no matter how big no matter how small Leading up to this point, Michael had spoken very little about Aaron. It was just, if he did talk about her, it wasn't by, like, by her name. It was mostly just in reference and just saying things in passing. And during this practice run, Michael told Brock about how he killed a girl in a, quote, terrible, tragic accident. He said that he and this girl were arguing. She was the aggressor. Things got out of hand and he pushed her out of frustration. So Brock just listens quietly. He's showing no reaction to what he's hearing, basically just acting as though he hears this type of thing all the time and it's something they can make go away really easily. Mm-hmm. So the practice run, just that's pretty much it. It goes okay. But when Brock is done the meeting and he goes to talk things over with investigators, because he's literally an RCMP agent, mm-hmm. He hands over his recording and they check it out and they're just like, we're not buying that story at all. This whole terrible, tragic accident story, there's more to it. And Brock, you have to figure it out because this won't do. Fuck. So Brock and Michael meet again the next day. And I don't know exactly where the conversation goes, what he says, but Brock likely says, like, you know, I'm not buying it. And the boss, if I'm not buying it, then the big boss definitely won't buy this story. And because this time, I guess whatever my uh Brock was telling Michael must have worked because Michael sort of comes clean. It he says that it fine, it wasn't just this terrible tragic accident. I didn't just push her. Um it was just straight up cold-blooded murder. Okay. And he says that he buried her body in a nearby cemetery in someone else's freshly dug grave. Uh, oh. Mm-hmm. That's fucked. Yeah. I thought, but that's what Brock was thinking, but he has to be like this hard-ass crime guy. So he's just sitting there like, mm-hmm, cool. Anyway, take me there. So Michael takes Brock <laughs> to the cemetery to a headstone that read, oh shit, I meant to look this up. The headstone has the last name Borotsik on it. And Michael's like, this is where Erin is buried. She's about two feet deep. She's face up and she's wrapped in a white blanket. And remember, this whole sting operation at this point is happening in like late 2003. And she disappeared in April 2002. So it's been Mm -hmm. a while. It's been almost two years. Yeah. 
So it's not like you're just going to look down and see like dirt still. Like it's just going to look like a normal plot in the cemetery. So uh, Brock reported these details back to the covert team. And they look into it to see if this story makes any sense. If what Michael is telling them could be corroborated at all. So they do determine that a lady named Jean Borotsik had passed away around the time that Aaron went missing in 2002. And her grave, the plot, was consistent with the area that Michael took Brock to. So the police are like, okay, he did lead brock in this area pointed out a headstone that has this name this woman did pass away at this time kind of lines up and the police actually obtain a search warrant for what lockhart who's the detective called a quote probe without gravesite Mm -hmm. so that basically just means we need to locate an unmarked grave by probing the ground okay yeah so this warrant was approved by a judge but under very explicit instructions not to disturb the graves below because this is a cemetery where a woman had just been laid to rest not even two years before yeah so the the judge is like okay based on information you have this guy is saying he buried her two feet deep so do not go anywhere below there because you know you got six feet until you hit something yeah (laughs) so the covert operation began with a forensic team locating the gravesite. I just have a hard time believing it was a covert because they literally used jackhammers to excavate small sections of the frozen ground because it's like December at this right, or yeah. it's like December, January at this point. So, <laughs> what are you guys doing over there? Nope, Did sorry, you... it's like February. Shoveling. So <laughs> yeah so it is february in manitoba so it is freezing it is snowy the ground is frozen so they have to use a jackhammer so i don't know how covert that is but yeah. they are excavating small sections of the frozen ground and they're probing for any sign of Aaron. so they did this very meticulously and respectfully as respectfully as you can i suppose and the first five probes failed to turn up anything but in the sixth hole a piece of the blanket Michael said Aaron was wrapped in was unearthed and Aaron was found. Mm-hmm. So now all that was left was the final portion of the sting operation to get that confession. February 12th, 2004, a surveillance team prepared a Winnipeg hotel room for Michael's final confession. They had the audio recordings that Brock had secretly taken, but they wanted his full confession on video too. So Brock met Michael at the hotel and they went to the room to do a sort of dress rehearsal of sorts before Mr. Big showed up. So over the course of 90 minutes, Michael meticulously outlined to Brock how and why he killed Aaron, this time using her name. Because in the other just audio recordings, he had just referred to like this girl that he killed. Mm-hmm. So he actually said Aaron's name this time. 
and he said that they fought after she refused to drop assault charges against him. Um, I'm actually just going to pause here and say that in part one, I had said that Aaron's parents didn't find out about his physical abuse until after she disappeared. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's true. I think they did know, especially because of these assault charges. At least her aunt definitely did know because uh, at some point, like later point during uh, testimony, the aunt does talk about how the last time she saw Aaron, it was during a road trip and she was talking about how she's going to go forth with the assault charges and is done, never wants to see him again. So I think her parents did know. Okay. Because her aunt knew. So I would imagine her parents did know. Yeah. Um, And I also didn't know about these assault charges until I was finishing the research for the second part. And I, just like how much more of a dirtbag can you be? Yeah, honestly. <laughs> so, yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. So, yes, he says that they fought after she refused to drop assault charges against him. So then he decides that he's going to choke her. So he choked her with his hands, then with his arm. I don't know if it's a headlock or what. It sounds like a headlock. He set his arm, and then she fell unconscious. Like I said, it might not necessarily be. I don't know, but he used his arm as well. Yeah. Uh, Either way, the amount of force. Exactly, to the point that she was unconscious and she fell to the floor. So she's still alive, but he kind of described it like her breathing was weird and she was making weird sounds, and he believed that she might have been brain dead. So what a call to make. I know. So she's still alive or uh, teetering. Uh, so he feels like he has no choice but to finish her off. So he dragged her to the bathroom and he further choked her with a cord that he cut off of his mother's hairdryer. Because remember, he lives with his mom. Right. He filled the bathtub with water and then he drowned her by holding her head underwater for several minutes. This guy's fucked. I know. Yeah. He then described stripping her naked, placing her in the tub, and washing her body and cleaning her fingernails to remove any of his DNA. And then he went to bed. Yeah, you could just sleep after that, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Just overexerted yourself a little bit there, big guy. Crazy. Yeah. It just keeps getting worse. Like, literally, she wouldn't drop assault charges against you. Mm-hmm. And this is what you did. Yeah. Buddy. <sighs> so the next day, you know, he decided that he wanted to go and visit his dad at the cemetery where his dad worked. So his his mom and dad are divorced and he lived with his mom mm-hmm. and his dad works at the cemetery. And he's like, you know, I want to go and have a chat with him. I just want to try and relax. You know, I've had a crazy night. So he's walking through the cemetery and he noticed a freshly dug grave in a secluded area. And he decided that he would return after dark to bury Aaron in that grave. That night, he wrapped her body in bags and then in a white bed sheet. And he took her to the cemetery around midnight. He described using a metal shovel with a wooden handle to dig her grave, placing her face up after, quote, carefully measuring her body and making last minute adjustments to the size of the hole. He even told Brock about how he would routinely walk by the grave after she was buried, quote, just to check up on it, just to make sure the dirt's all good, like nothing was bothered, unquote. Mm-hmm. 
So hearing this new, very detailed version of events, Brock just remained calm. He showed no outward emotions. He just decided to ask Michael why he had originally said that it was an accident. Then he said it wasn't. And now he's giving all of this detail. So he's like, why'd you say it was an accident? And then you've since changed your story twice. Mm -hmm. And this is a calculated question to make sure that Michael said what michael said was on his own there wasn't any sort of coercion of any sorts no inducement to give a false confession no leading to exaggerate what he had done nothing like that mm -hmm. and michael just said it simply because he was nervous about offering up too many details to such a horrible crime which is why it took a few attempts to get the full truth out there and he's never talked about it before so it was just a matter of like warming up to really finally saying out loud what he did Mm -hmm. And with the confession out of the way, the hotel room door opened, and instead of Mr. Big, the police entered and arrested Michael. <laughs> and as he was being handcuffed, he was shown that there was a hidden camera which captured his just dumbfounded face. Yeah. And I wish that we could watch this footage. You can't watch footage. There's just a couple of, like, screenshots of it, and he's just like, uh -huh. Just dumbfounded yeah i'll post a photo on instagram <laughs> beautiful but uh while he was being led away michael's only words to the arresting officers were just tell me one thing is brock a cop just tell me that is he a cop oh my god what a fucking idiot that's all i want to know is my new friend a cop <laughs> he's supposed to be my friend he can get me out right brock post my bail man be man <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so in June 2005, nearly a year and a half since his arrest, Michael's trial began where he pleaded not guilty. Brock testified, and this was the first time that Michael saw his friend since he was arrested. That must have been really weird to, to like know this guy under the, the guise of him being like some criminal. It's going to be your favorite guy. day. It has to be your favorite day. And then you're actually up there like, no, I'm a fucking rcmp officer and that, i literally just played you for months that'd be my favorite day if <laughs> i was doing that job i would not be able to stop grinning i would probably blow kisses oh no. <laughs> you would just keep kissing the microphone <laughs> they would be like sir the judge your would be credibility like, is going out the window bro no, the judge would be threatening to kick me out yeah he <laughs> would. Me in contempt <laughs> So the confession tape from the hotel room was also played in court. And Debbie and Darcy, who was Aaron's mom and dad, they watched some of the video before leaving the courtroom in tears because they're it's 90 minutes, remember. 90 minutes of Michael meticulously detailing everything he did to their daughter. So they stuck around for a bit, but they ended up leaving in tears because it, it, it's got to be so much, especially when you're hoping this whole time that your daughter will come home. Mm-hmm. So several family members stayed to watch the whole video, though, and they were seen smiling as they watched Michael's stupid ass face when he realized on video that he'd been played. So like you're yeah. saying, you would be on the stand just grinning. Yeah. And some of her family was smiling just because it was just. Beautiful. Yeah, it must just feel like so good. Yeah, think about all the think about all the families who have like like who have siblings or something like that, relatives who are victims of, of violence like that. Mm -hmm. And even the ones who do end up getting justice, rarely would they ever get justice 
that sweet. Yeah. Where they get to see the look on that fucker's face mm-hmm. after he was made a fucking ass. That's in so front true. Of so many people. That's such a good point. Yeah. I wonder if they also got to hear him yelling, like, just tell me that man is Brock a cop. Oh, I bet. Is he? I don't know what he sounds if I was like, but it, it, if I was cutting the video for them, I would hundred percent sneak that in there. They show up the next day and one of their phones go off and that's their ringtone. Just tell me, man. Is he a cop? Michael was represented at the trial by defense lawyer Greg Brodsky. And Greg Brodsky suggested during the trial that, just like Brock, Michael was also playing and embellishing his past in order to impress the gang and make sure that he would get his money. You know, he wanted to be a part of this syndicate and go up in the crime ring. What is this lawyer, me? So the same case. Uh, Greg Brodsky also argued that the confession obtained from the sting is unreliable and that it's the Mounties, Mr. Big operation that should be on trial, saying, quote, they should be outlawed. They should do good police work, convict people on the basis of physical evidence and admissions if they get them and stop paying people. OK, I have a I have a, a follow up to that. Yes, Greg. I mean, Dyson. OK. Uh, fuck you. He led us to the body. Right. <laughs> right. How's that for physical evidence? It's so specific. Yeah. And I mean, they obviously got her body. They had to, I think, wait a bit more to really, uh, like thaw the ground out and stuff and to do it. a really respectful excavation. Cause they're yeah. literally excavating Aaron from a grave on top of a grave. Yeah. Like it's, it's see, like I'm, I'm good with if Mister Big operations are conducted in a way that is not the primary role, but it's rather like you said, like it's in addition to it's a yeah, it's an auxiliary like means of getting to physical evidence and then using the physical evidence to demonstrate guilt. Then I'm like, yeah, you know what? That's fine. I'm good with that. Fuck, prove them, prove them guilty. I do agree. Plus, they would have gotten her body. And they probably yeah. could have corroborated parts of his confession with maybe injuries she had. Mm-hmm. Um, if they could see, like, oh, she was strangled with hands. There was a ligature involved. She was certainly drowned because she would have apparently still been alive. He said that he had to drown her to kill her. Mm-hmm. So, like, they probably could corroborate those details. And, yeah, he led them to the body. Yeah. By not just offhandedly are you going to be, like, in this whole ass cemetery, this one grave is where she's buried. Do you know like how fucking astronomically huge the odds are against just guessing the not only the grave site, but the depth? And saying I wrapped <laughs> her in bags and then I wrapped her in a white blanket. Yeah. And they find that. Yeah. Like maybe in this whole situation, you could argue that he had an accomplice or something. So that's why he knew certain details. Maybe he helped the aftermath, but he's never said that. Yeah, like, I was going to say, like, up, if he made it part of his case, then maybe I'd consider it. Yeah, he was just straight <laughs> up saying, like, I didn't do it, though. And yeah. Mr. Big Sting Operation suck ass. In fact, Mr. Big did it. Mr. Big did it. Grass my friend Brock. You see a cop, though? <laughs> so on June 29th, 2005... Uh, I guess the trial lasted like three weeks, it seems. Mm. Jurors deliberated for less than seven hours and reached a verdict. 24-year-old Michael 
was found guilty of murdering Aaron Chorney, and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 25 years. So he was to serve a sentence until 2029 before being able to apply for parole. Michael appealed his conviction, and Greg Brodsky made the sting operation the focus of the appeal when he filed the notice in July 2005, so just weeks after the verdict. Mm -hmm. And Greg Brodsky was arguing that all the evidence it yielded, including the confessions, should be excluded. He's saying we should not use anything to do with the sting operation. In October 2006, it didn't work, by the way. Okay. In October 2006, Six, Greg Brodsky tried another approach to appeal Michael's first-degree murder verdict, arguing unsuccessfully again that the killing was not premeditated, but was the result of a dispute that escalated. So he's saying, okay, it wasn't premeditated, though. Like, yeah, okay, fine, he did it. He did it. Just can't argue it anymore. But he didn't plan it. It wasn't intentional. And three Manitoba Court of Appeal justices took less than an hour to decide to uphold the first-degree murder good they were like cool no yeah good (laughs) (laughs) in 2014 michael told the national parole board he's now prepared to sort of take responsibility because he was never admitting to killing aaron he was never showing remorse in any capacity so come 2014 he's saying i'm ready to engage with Aaron's family and her loved ones as part of the healing process for everyone involved. And this way they can talk to me and see me and get what they want from me for their, you know, closure. Uh Uh-huh. It, it was strange to say the least, because like I said, he had never admitted to killing Aaron. He tried everything possible to avoid getting caught and being convicted and was constantly appealing and arguing his verdict. Mm -hmm. So her parents were really suspicious of his motives. And they denied his requests. They were just straight up said that no one in her family and Aaron's family wants to see his face or hear his voice. They're like, nope. Yeah. We, we, they're probably also fucking sick of him because it's 2014. They can't get rid of him. Mm -hmm. It's been almost a decade at this point. Yeah. And they want to move on and he just keeps pulling them into things. So he, if, turns out that yeah the family was right he did have like ulterior motives of course he did Mm -hmm. and it's because he was requesting from the parole the parole board and the parole officials that he be let out of prison on escorted leaves so that he could visit a terminally ill family member in the hospital and the parole board looked into it and they're like hey who's this family member like is it something we should even entertain with him being on escorted day leaves he's literally convicted of first degree murder Mm -hmm. and they looked into it and they denied it they they cited that his crime was horrific the -hmm. nature of it was horrific the views of aaron's family and then the questionable relationship with the dying relative so they were like you were looking at this you don't seem to have been in like really close communication with this person it doesn't seem like they're like really important to you or vital to any sort of like um rehabilitation you would have and whatever so like no i think you're just using this dying person as an excuse to get out of prison for a while Mm -hmm. and the very extensive victim impact statements that aaron's family had 
put together and told and said aloud to the parole board was cited as being the major factor for denying his application. And again, they probably were really like intense impact statements because like I said, at this point, it's been almost a decade of Michael just dragging them back in with his appeals and his whatever else. So they're probably just like, my God, we're fucking sick of you. Yeah, it'd be infuriating. And it is infuriating because it doesn't end. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> in October 2019, mm. Michael was granted permission by a judge to apply for early parole under the now repealed faint hope clause. So this is a clause that gives prisoners sentenced to more than 15 years the chance to have their sentence reduced, but only after 15 years of the sentence has already been served. So okay. in 2019, that's 15 And it's not years. repealed, this, this thing? Yes. Yeah, so only offenders who were convicted prior to December 2nd, 2011 can apply under it because the clause was removed from the criminal code which is why it has to be approved by a judge now okay so he was sentenced his he was found guilty of first degree murder he was sentenced in 2005 and anyone convicted before december 2011 can still apply under this faint hope clause that you'll get paroled early but it now like that doesn't happen good because that sounds like horseshit exactly like if you're if you're convicted of first degree murder and they say i know this isn't how it works but and they say like this is how many years you have to serve it's always feels like everyone gets shortchanged when they don't end up serving that fucking time Mm -hmm. i don't know why we're just like well you know they've really changed their heart it's like i'm sure they fucking have they still did it like even if you really did like i don't care if you if if I got convicted for murdering someone and then I was super fucking remorseful about it and I was like, I, I did this, I fucking ruined lives. You know what I would do? Part of my fucking ownership with it, with that would be doing the goddamn fucking time. Mm-hmm. That's what you at least owe people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the fact that we were like, well, you know, he's 15 years. He served his 15. He let's, was a good lad. Let's give him his chance. It's like, get fucked, man. This guy's a piece of shit. I don't care what he told you exactly it's just what is incredibly frustrating about the justice system is that it's like very oriented around criminals like maybe it's not favoring of criminals in their actions or whatever but it is so it revolves around the criminal yeah aaron's family it's a degree of kids gloves put on yeah, yeah. like aaron's family is like oh my god we literally and like in the case of debbie and darcy they're like our daughter is literally heinously murdered and taken away from us she was 18 years old she was a child still she had a whole life ahead of her mm-hmm. and we cannot escape her murderer they have to they have to go to this mm-hmm. he's he's using the faint hope clause to try and get out early they have to go mm-hmm. to this like appeal process basically they have to go there and say statements or give their piece over and over again Mm -hmm. and like that's probably the fucking last thing they want to do yeah it's so infuriating that's her family they should have a say and being like this is fucking ridiculous this is a waste of everybody's time he's found guilty to keep him there yeah. Stop dragging us here. It's, I just get so mad because I can't mm-hmm. imagine if I was in their shoes, if this was my loved ones, I would just I would be so furious about it. It's not fair. Mm-hmm. He's a piece of shit. And he gets to call the shots. Oh my god, okay. 
<laughs> I got really hot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to walk it back now. So, yes, only offenders convicted prior to December 2nd, 2011 can apply for this faint hope clause because it was removed from the criminal code. It has to be approved by a judge. So they have to, you know, you'll have your defense lawyer or whatever, and they'll be like, my client would like to faint hope clause. <laughs> And a judge will say, yes or no. Mm -hmm. So the judge did grant approval for the previous rejection to be reconsidered because they noted that Michael was only 21 at the time of the crime. He's not, um, I mean, sorry, he's had ongoing support from his friends and family. He doesn't have any known ties to gang or criminal activity. He has apparently accepted responsibility for murdering Aaron. It only took fucking years and years and years, but, you know, he did it. Mm -hmm. And he shows signs of remorse now. You know, he's been housed in minimum security since 2014. And he has been found not guilty of any disciplinary conduct while behind bars. And he has completed training and programs while incarcerated. So they're just like, really? sucking ass they're like yeah michael you're so good behind bars like wow you're the best yeah he only <laughs> killed someone you know at least he's not a gang member i know like he hasn't even gotten in trouble behind bars guys it was just the one time with the murder <laughs> what about the people he murdered what murder <laughs> like that's literally what's happening here yeah i hate that me too i'm sweaty again so on April 8th, that's Kobe's birthday. On April 8th, 2021, a jury decided Michael can apply for early parole. Mm. So I'm waiting. The silver lining here, I guess, is that with a sentence of 25 years to 25 years with no ability to apply for parole would have put him at 22 20 yep yep stroke number two that's number two 2029 is when he would be able to apply for parole based on his original conviction mm -hmm. early parole is now june 2026 so okay. it's not like it was immediate yeah and again it's just the opportunity to apply for parole so doesn't mean he'll get it. Yeah. But it still means he can apply early. And it still means Aaron's family is going to have to keep going to these parole hearings and arguing why he should not get let out. Yeah. And you know this little fucking shit stain is going to apply at every single chance he can get at over and over. Because all he's done this whole time that he's been in prison is appealing or seeing how he can get out or get, you know loopholes and whatever the fucking else mm -hmm. fucking he's just playing games with the system annoying and so yeah in less than three years it's possible that michael you know could be a free man i don't think he will be he the crime was horrific they can say now like well he's taking responsibility like fuck off it took almost a decade for him to even accept responsibility and the only reason he did is because he wanted day release like this guy I is i don't know I, like i could see them letting him out that's the thing that bothers yeah. me. I can see them letting them out because they've taken a new mentality with their with the judicial system where they think that, um, you know, 
obviously we want to be rehabilitating so if he's showing remorse and he's been already granted this mm -hmm. whatever the judge has seen that kind of remorse and sees a possibility of of uh, a better life for him then therefore we can let him out early there's no uh justification for holding him in bars for further exactly consideration especially yeah. with these like i could see them making that case that is not me saying no, that's no, no, a good no, I know. thing i yeah i know what you're saying you're yeah. si well even just think about not think about re let's recall what they were saying when they were first asking for him to have that day release and stuff and they're talking about how he's been doing schooling he's been moved from maximum to medium security mm -hmm. he's never gotten in trouble like they're already kind of paving a path to be like this isn't someone you should be worried about anymore yeah, he doesn't start fights in prison. He, he also doesn't... like would go on and on about how when he at the time of it, the crime, you know, he was alcoholic. He had a terrible childhood. So he's obviously going to lean into that, too, where it's like, cool, lots of people are alcoholics and have fucking dog shit childhoods, but they don't murder people. Yep. <sighs> Especially if you look at that, the totality of that. You murdered her after she wouldn't drop assault charges. Like. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't oh. get it. If you murder someone, you threw your life away. God. As far as I'm concerned, that's what should happen. In in a cold, in this cold-blooded way. Yeah. It's not yeah. like you accidentally like did something. Yeah. Like but this exactly. was cold-blooded, killed your, killed like, your first, girlfriend with your, I guess, ex-girlfriend with your bare hands. Yeah. First degree murder. I'm like, you're you fucked yourself mm -hmm. the moment you did that and got and the they put you in fucking handcuffs you're fucking thrown into a cell and enjoy your fucking life behind it behind fucking bars that's but. what justice should be that's justice isn't it think about the families think about the other people don't just think about this stink bomb of a person yeah i get heated again i'm getting heated again <laughs> <laughs> ding 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 <laughs> <laughs> boxing okay so we're ready to wrap it up but i don't want to end it on michael because he just makes my blood boil and yeah. I, I think he stinks and yeah. he probably does stink you know the only time actually i'm just recalling now that he's gotten in trouble in prison was because he had contraband pornography which is really funny <laughs> <laughs> contraband pornography okay so we're gonna end it but we're gonna bring it back to aaron because again this is about aaron a ceremony to celebrate Aaron's life was held at Calvary Temple in Brandon on, sep mm -mm, on Saturday, February 21st, 2004. So this is after the confession, after they have been, her family's been informed by Detective Lockhart and stuff that there's a confession. They found her body. They can now lay her to rest. Mm -hmm. And her obituary reads... Quote, she was the oldest of three children, a great sister to her brother, Ryan, and sister Leslie. Erin had an easygoing personality, making friends wherever she went, always willing to help other people with aspirations to be a counselor. Erin was a good student, loved to read, write stories and poetry, and hoped to compose a book someday. As a young girl, Erin played Barbies, Lego, tag, swimming, and spent much time riding her bike. She loved to participate in sports, including racquetball, baseball, and volleyball. Erin had a love of nature. Her favorite flower was the daffodil. Camping and fishing were her favorite pastimes, often naming the fish that were caught. Erin's family was very important to her, enjoying holiday celebrations and gatherings. She had a wonderful imagination, sense of humor, 
love to laugh, enjoying music and singing. And then it ends with, quote, we miss your smile. We miss your laugh. Your memories are in our hearts and will be cherished always. Our love is with you, Aaron. You will be missed by mom, dad, Ryan and Leslie, grandparents, aunts, uncles and cousins. Mm. Mom, dad, Ryan, Leslie, grandparents, aunts, uncles and cousins. Guess what? That's a long list. Guess what else? Those are all people that are going to have to be dragged through this goddamn parole. Bullshit. I didn't even ring the bell yet. <laughs> it's not fair. <laughs> it isn't fucking fair. It's dog shit. I hate it. Yeah. I'm just imagining if Aaron was my sister, my cousin. And I'm like, cool. Can't wait to put my life on hold again to go and again cry about why her literal murderer shouldn't be let out of prison. Because mm. he took a life. He doesn't deserve to have one. Okay. With that, I basically conclude part two and our telling of Aaron's case. And it's a devastating case. Mm-hmm. Aaron, like I have been saying, she's only 18 years old. She had her entire life, a life ahead of her. Yeah. She had her entire life ahead of her. And instead, the scrub took it all away. And he's a grub. That's all he is. Yeah. He's a little stinking grub. And he's heartless and he's emotionless. He's abusive. There's no redeeming qualities. I hope he never gets out of prison. Don't tell me he's rehabilitated because he only said he was remorseful after he thought he could get day release. And you can't change my mind about that. And the fact that he has constantly appealed his convictions and asked for early release and all of that is very frustrating because he has continuously dragged his family through this process. And it drives me goddamn wild. He's a selfish prick. Mm -hmm. In other news, the writer of those letters never came forward, so no one knows who wrote them. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking, they're just like a side plot to this whole it's thing, so and they're just douchebags, like just such dicks. Yeah, and while the investigation was ongoing, mainly before they really, you know, pulled the trigger on doing the sting operation, the whole Mr. Big operation. The letters obviously were sort of a part of the investigation because they were trying to figure out, is this Michael that's writing them? Who wrote them? They even put that ad in the paper. Uh, But then after Michael confessed and they really, they knew they got him, the investigation into who wrote them just kind of stopped. They were like, whatever. They didn't add anything. Didn't really matter. They only took things away. And if we keep investigating this, we're just really leaning into the notoriety of these things. So let's Mm -hmm. just say they mean nothing. Yeah, there's but other cases part to, look, to deal with. Yeah, exactly. And then in 2014, the Supreme Court of Canada imposed stricter rules when using the Mr. Big Sting operation as a tactic to mm-hmm. obtain a confession and stricter um, rules when using it as evidence in court. So it is kind of getting wrangled in a bit, but it still is- can still do it. Yeah, it it does just scream like a tactic that needs some fucking safety bars, you know? Yeah, especially... Like some guardrails around it. Especially because... I mean, think of... Just think of the premise in in its most simple form. Bringing in your prime suspect into a organized crime syndicate. That already is bias-leaning... Will you will be biased thinking, well, this person wants to be a part of an organized crime ring, like they're probably not a good person, yeah, or they have bad moral compass or whatever. Like yeah. you already have that immediately off the jump. Yep. So 
Yeah, it's just a weird one. I just, I am fairly fascinated by Mr. Big Cases. I think it's all just so interesting. It's an interesting study of people. Uh, I think, like you said, it's like having a bunch of theater kids that became RCMP officers. Yeah. It's really the RCMP that does it. It's not like... And in and in the OPP worst of ways, I, I mean this in the worst of ways, to like a someone sitting on the jury, it can look like some shit off of True Detective. Mm-hmm. And that's not good. <laughs> that's not good for an impartial jury. Right. Um, anyway. And the people you're dealing with, if your suspect is maybe doesn't have all their faculties about them, if they mm-hmm. already have a history of organized crime affiliations or, you know, CD crimes that way. Or if they're like the example you kept using, if they're literal children, teenagers or really young adults, impressionable mm-hmm. men like yeah, it, there is. It's like I had said, it's so nuanced, yeah. but it still is fascinating to cover yeah. and to talk about. And in this specific instance, covering Aaron Chorney's case, I do think the Mr. Big Sting operation, Mr. Bing. Did I say Mr. Bing? I heard Big, but okay. maybe you did throw on Bing. Mr. I think I thought maybe I said Mr. Bing Stig operation. No. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that. The Mr. Big operation in this particular case was absolutely vital. I don't think they would have found Aaron's body ever without having Michael tell Brock where it was bar- where her body was buried. I don't think he would have gotten the confession without it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Aaron's family feels that way. Her parents have always said, we fully support the use of the Mr. Big operation for this. Obviously, they got them their daughter. Yeah. And for real would you ever have found her i don't think you would have she's buried in some random person's grave that's fucking creepy and weird and you'd never think that yeah you'd never find it either i mean you wouldn't you wouldn't just be like oh i bet this grave specifically no, yeah well, i, I think why would the, you think she was buried in someone else's grave like, yeah i think the uh i think this was a good example of, of it being used properly yes i mean there was no problems with it really that i could see i mean that's kind of why it's like I'm glad they put guardrails on it. I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's probably a case to be made beyond that, but oh, my course. main concerns have been addressed. Yeah, you, you can. Know? Yeah, you could provided those guardrails and pick noticed. it apart and find reasons to be for it, reasons to be against it. But that's like anything controversial or yeah. anything really with a lot of stake in it. Like it's it's one of those things just, where yeah, I would say if a judge gives you a permission to do it. Then I and then, you know, we also make sure that we don't do some extra seedy shit with that. Like, there's rules against like. Yeah, judge doesn't have to give anyone permission to do the operation. That I would like to see that. Just like that's, you know, I maybe, don't. Yeah, maybe for that's example, like part I, of the parameter. I'm literally just in my head. I'm parroting parroting this, make like drawing a parallel between doing like a Mister Big. And the same kind of shit the cops would do to search your place. They can't just walk in. Right. They need permission and then they can do it. And it's shit like that that makes me go like, okay, like, for example, I'm really uncomfortable with the that level of power with the police force mm-hmm. doing a Mr. Big operation. And, and for all the reasons we talked about, well, I'm also like super not cool with a cop just walking into my home. But in both cases, if a judge was like, you i grant you a warrant to do this i'm like okay well you know what that's actually i'm way more comfortable with that yeah like you said so, there's like safeguards yeah stuff put in place 
And in this case, it is another good example because they were investigating it. They were following through on every single lead to try and find Aaron. They obviously were thrown weird ass curveballs like these letters and psychics and people who were just interfering, but they were still going around the fucking world, basically following shit up. Mm-hmm. And they did get those warrants for the car, for the house. They were trying everything and it was just, they knew they were there and they just needed that extra push. So they mm-hmm. went to this. It's not like they just came out the gates like, fucking can't wait to do Mr. Big. <laughs> but yeah, so I think I'll, in the future, not anytime soon, but in the future, definitely we'll cover other cases that use a Mr. Big operation just so we can see how they vary and in this particular example michael never even got to talk to mr big mm-hmm. they he got the full confession uh brock just got it and then the police came in and arrested him before mr big could come in but there is other cases where you, people actually do go and sit in front of mr big and there so. is a mr big yeah so um yeah and again just to see the differences in other interesting operations but i mean that's uh as the murder of Aaron Chorney and yeah, I got really heated at the end. Sorry. I just don't like him and I don't like how it works. And I don't think it's fair for her family or anyone's family that has to deal with this. Mm-hmm. The daughter's already dead and murdered. Yeah. I'm going to have to keep going. I'm not going to start this again. Next <laughs> week's episode will bring us into October, which means it's going to be like dark and spooky topics coming at you mm. at you listener. And Again, this happened last year, and this year there is five Mondays in October, so that's five episodes in October this year, again, Mm. like I said. And Paige will be doing an episode in October, so whatever she's going to do, maybe some folklore or spooky cryptid, I'm not sure, but she's going to do an episode about it. And then on Instagram, I have been putting polls in our stories so that listeners can vote on the topics that we cover throughout October. So, you know, if you can give us a follow over there at Dark Adaptation Podcast and cast your votes. I know not all people use Instagram, but that's what we use. And if you don't have Instagram, but you still want to send in a suggestion or really whatever, send us dark love of any sort, you can do it by email which is the same handle for Instagram. It's just dark adaptation podcast at gmail.com. And this episode that we just did was recommended by Trinity. So thank you again, Trinity for recommending this case. I love doing case suggestions. Um, As you can see, literally I've been putting polls in our Instagram story to hear what you want covered for October. And it seems that most people Based on voting so far, I'm going to be putting it in our story for the next couple of days, just leading into October. Most people want um, haunted places Mm -hmm. and just classic true crime. All right. Shout out to all my haunted places, homies. Yeah, I know that. Love that shit. You wanted the haunted places. And yeah, so that's why I'm just putting the poll in for a few days in our story. Um, Just in case people didn't see it over like the one day I did have it. And I'm just kind of accumulating the results to see what people really want versus Mm -hmm. what they don't. Because there's four options in the story to vote on. So, yeah, that's just my way of engaging with you to see what you like hearing, what you want to hear. You can also just straight up send in a suggestion in the story as well or to the email, whatever. 
and I'll do it just like this. Uh, Trinity recommended this one a while ago, but I did it. Here we go. Mm -hmm. And next week, get ready for October. Dyson, you can put in the cool October music that we used. Make me. Okay. <laughs> I will. Absolutely. I love that one. That that's, one is sick. I know. It's so, so awesome. That one's sick. We so put that's... so much, so much fucking work into getting that going. Yeah. So now we can do it again. We'll put it in next week's episode when I'm 90% sure I'll do something haunted. Yeah. Someone said that they would like a good haunted house story again because we did the Hinsdale house. Mm. So, um, I don't know who that was, but like, thanks because that's also my favorite shit. And it wasn't you. That would be and so it wasn't funny. me. Yeah. If you're messaging through, we live together, and you're like, do a haunted house one. That would be so funny. <laughs> so I think I'm leaning on that as a haunt, um, a haunted places one. I have no idea. We'll we'll figure it out come back next week it's gonna be spooky it's already spooky in here dyson and i went out to michael's got some halloween decorations mm -hmm. we got our first psls yep we had some pumpkin didn't, spice lattes pick up on my joke as i as we introduced ourselves i was just ignoring it so we went <laughs> through the drive through to starbucks and we don't go to starbucks we are very much tim horton's mcdonald's coffee drinkers because we don't like fancy drinks you and i just drink black coffee Mm -hmm. and you're like can i get two venti pumpkin spice lattes because that's how you order it right and she just went mm-hmm what's your yeah. name <laughs> <laughs> you're like dyson she's like dyson you're like yeah i'm sorry tyson yeah <laughs> you're like i'm not fighting this one she said dyson and then for some reason put tyson yeah <laughs> Tyson's been TPSL. <laughs> uh. Anyway, go get yourself a pumpkin spice latte and we'll catch you on the dark side. Bye.